Today on Behind the Headlines, we are talking about a recycling bill that is being held hostage due to lobbyists. On this episode, we're joined by Simon Schuster. He is from the Michigan Campaign Finance Network and our reporters, Sherry McWerther and Garrett Ellison. Let's get into it. This piece of reporting was a big-time team effort. Our guest today, Simon Schuster, Sherry McWerther, Garrett Ellison, and as always, we are joined by my co-host, Vice President of Content at MLive, the one, the only, my dear friend, John Heiner. Eric Colcran, I am well, although I'm sitting here trying to figure out uh, where I'm at in Michigan. Am I in fall, spring, or I am in phantom winter? Because it was it was 80 the other day, and it's going to snow this weekend. So um, it's probably time to get Mark Torgrosa back on here. And it probably is. <laughs> hold him accountable, because <laughs> this just won't do. Say, Eric, it's you've got an interesting topic today. Anyone who's watched a journalism movie or uh you know read a pop boiler about journalism knows that there's a tried and true saying follow the money and it's a it's a uh you know it's a critical element to watchdog journalism and m live had a really good example of that in the past week and uh, the interesting thing is it, it was in the realm of something extremely rare in michigan which is uh, bipartisan legislation um and the, that did sort of a disappearing act and uh our reporters uh, working with a partner at the Michigan Campaign Finance Network, uh, wrote a very interesting story about that, that saga, and uh, we're here to talk about it today. And so our guests today are uh, two environmental reporters from MLive. First, uh, I want to say good morning to Garrett Ellison. Morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having us on. Yep. And uh, his colleague and partner, Sherry McWhirter from MLive. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. And uh, uh, a partner that we've used, uh, we've worked with in the past on some uh, critical journals of coming out of Lansing, it's Simon Schuster from the Michigan Campaign Finance Network. Good morning, Simon. Glad to have you, John. A pleasure to be on. And uh, thank you all for joining us. And uh, I, I have been getting some mileage out of the phrase that something didn't smell right with uh, <laughs> this landfill. Uh, 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 connection on a story that we did. And I'd just like to start at the beginning. So perhaps, Garrett, uh, you could just frame the issue about this legislation and why it was important in Michigan. And then we'll talk about what happened to it. Sure. Uh, well, what there is is a uh, package of uh, bills that are passed the House uh, in early 2021, um, March 2021, about a year ago. And it would essentially uh, overhaul solid waste management in Michigan uh, in, a, in an effort to increase recycling. Um, it, you know, our recycling rate in Michigan is, uh, you know, pretty low. It's in the uh, teens, right? I think the latest number were about 19% uh, of waste uh, that could be recycled is. Um, and so, you know, this legislation has been sort of under development for a long, long time. It's got a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, it's got support from uh, the business community, uh, as, as such as the Chamber of Commerce and the, you know, Chemistry Council and influential business groups, as well as the environmental community, uh, which is obviously uh, very invested in seeing recycling increase. So, Essentially, you know, without getting into too many details, the, legisl the legislation is broad, involves eight bills, and, you know, solid waste management is more than just recycling. Uh, but that's the, 
you know, that's the gist of it. Hey, Sherry, maybe you could pick up the story there. Uh, we could just go back and forth on this because like kind of uh, like a tennis match because there's a lot of interesting facets to this. But how did it how, you know, how did it come to our attention that something um, had had gone awry in the process with this bipartisan bill? Well, the we started looking into this as uh, as a. I guess, an outcome of the state working on its new climate action plan. And mm-hmm. there were these big goals to, uh, re- you know, increase the amount of recycling that the state does collectively as an effort to reduce our overall emissions, uh, our carbon emissions, which uh, drive climate change. And uh, in talking to some of the, the key players who were interested in seeing recycling improve in Michigan, you know, uh, there was a a lot of concern about the legislation seemingly grinding to a halt. So it was a matter of finding out why. And right. And can we talk about where the bill originated in the course that we, you know, the normal course it might've taken and then where it got sidetracked and where it got sidetracked to. Uh, Sure. I'll take that. Um, So the bills were, introduced a couple of uh, in like the last two legislative sessions uh, and they sort of they didn't really go anywhere they didn't make it to the house floor they uh, in one effort they made it out of committee um, but so in this third time around here uh, 20 early 2021 um, they were introduced into the house natural resources committee which is chaired by uh, um, Rep. Gary Howell out of uh, Lapeer County, um, and he's a, he's a champion of this. He's a sponsor uh, co- on several of the bills, um, and is you know really interested in seeing this stuff uh, go through. Um, and so it go it has a couple of uh, hearings in committee, goes to the House floor. Uh, about a month later, the House votes on it, and you know it, it seemed like it had some pretty comfortable uh, bipartisan support uh, among the, the full house, right? And so since then, it went, you know, it went to the, the Senate side and it went into the uh, Committee for Regulatory Reform. And uh, hasn't, nothing's happened with it since then. It can shed some light on why it took that path into regulatory reform. Is that normal? Well, um, that might be a better question for Simon, to be honest. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear him uh, explain that one. Yeah, so I, I would say that in the normal course of uh, business in the legislature, a uh, committee chair can often ask for a bill to um, come into their committee if they want to deal with it directly. And now we don't have necessarily direct proof that that's what happened in this instance. Um, that's often a thing that could happen. This was in the uh, Natural Resources Committee in the House uh, and in the Senate, there's also an Environmental Quality Committee, but instead this moved to um, regulatory reform. Uh, I, I wanted to provide a little bit of context to this legislation and why I think it's a relatively unique set of bills that were worth highlighting individually, because it's not particularly unusual in Michigan's legislature that a bill package dies in a committee where the chair has um, received campaign contributions or leadership contributions from interests that oppose it. But 
Um, Michigan has some of the strictest term limits in the nation. You know, we, uh, the amount of time that uh, legislators can serve is particularly short. And as a result of that, um, often what you see when you're looking at regulatory changes, it's sort of a piecemeal approach where there's one or two interests that bring in a bill that provides incremental change uh, to a particular area of policy. What was unique here is that this was a um, effort of legislation that had been, uh, that actually had origins in the Snyder administration. They'd been working on these bills or, or working on sort of conceptualizing an overhaul since 2015. And so as a result, um, this was a long time iterative process where there was more than 70 stakeholders involved. And to sort of reach a consensus with this many people at the table is, um, and, and also to do so on a bipartisan basis is a pretty unique uh, event to happen in Michigan's legislature. Right. We, MLive had an interesting package of stories earlier this year. Um, we kind of colloquially called it the death of democracy or the death of bipartisanship because we tracked how, uh, you know, bipartisan um, uh, interaction among members of the two parties uh, on legislation is becoming rarer and rarer in Michigan. Uh, plus, there's a, been a really up the spike in vetoes. So to hear that this had so much by, uh, broad support, both uh, within the chambers and then with the interest groups, uh, I think heightens the, the intrigue around what happened to it. And uh, one thing I think we had to introduce uh, one of the key players in this. Um, so, uh, Garrett or Sherry, if you want to talk about the, the chairman of that committee, uh, who it is, and, and then um, you mentioned campaign donations, Simon. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. So the senator who re who chairs the uh, regulatory reform committee, his name is Eric Nesbitt. Um, that's Eric with an A. Uh, he's a Republican, uh, lives in Lawton, uh, which is um, over sort of uh, west of Kalamazoo by about, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, and uh, he, um, well, maybe Simon's a better person to, to, to talk about sort of his place in the, uh, you know, the overall legislative scheme. It sounds like he's um, sort of in the, in the running for Senate Majority Leader. Okay. And, and to be clear, I think, Simon, you said he asked for this bill to be assigned to his committee. Is that correct? Uh, no, this was not something that we had established factually. I was just saying that uh, committee oh. chairs have the ability to sort of say if a package is coming through the Senate had already passed the House, if they're interested. Yeah, actually, I, I want to jump in there. We did mm -hmm. ask uh, uh, Senator Nesbitt when we talked to him on the phone, if, you know, we, we talked to him and, you know, he confirmed to us that he did request the bill. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to pick that up, Simon, about uh, the course of that bill to his committee and, and, and also then you'd mentioned the campaign donations. We'll flesh that out a little bit, please. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's worth first contextualizing that Gary Howell, the Republican representative in the House who was sort of championing these bills throughout his uh, three terms in that body, is a relatively moderate Republican. Whereas Eric Nesbitt is what he would describe himself as a free market conservative. So I think he would place himself to the right of uh, Howell. That said, um, as uh, Garrett mentioned, he is essentially the heir apparent to leading uh, the Republican caucus in the Senate, whether or not they hold the majority. Um, financially, you can really see that in sort of his campaign reports. Um, and really the uh, catalyzing event to this reporting that uh, Garrett and, and Sherry had um, sort of come to me with when we were working on this story is um, 
a $30,000 donation, three $10,000 contributions from a family uh, in the Kalamazoo area who have um, considerable interests in landfill management. But I think that that's something that uh, Garrett or Sherry could uh, address. Sure. Sherry, you want to pick that up and, and flesh that out for us? Sure. I mean, it makes a certain amount of sense that uh, people with an interest in landfilling don't want to have, you know, less material to landfill because they make money on landfilling. Um, so uh, there was a talk that there was just a little bit of pushback on some of the the legislative overhaul that was in these bills. Um, and uh, so we started looking around at any landfilling interests. And that's where the, the donations came up. Um, and so probably important to introduce the, the, the people that are making the donations. Um, it's a, a family that, uh, that owns, you know, as Simon said, they have considerable interest in, in landfilling. Um, it, the, the three people making the donations were uh, John Balcoma, uh, Michael Balcoma, his son, and Daniel Balcoma, his uh, nephew. Um, now, John Balcoma, Michael, and Daniel Balcoma, they're all sort of, uh, as I mentioned, they're, they're related. Uh, the family, the companies that they own, the most well-known one would be Best Way Disposal, um, which is a, you know, waste hauling service in the Southwest Michigan, uh, a lot of best way disposal carts, you know, along the, <laughs> along the road, uh, driving in from, you know, uh, home into the office today, you, you see their trucks and you see their carts everywhere. Uh, they own, the family owns uh, and operates the Orchard Hill Sanitary Landfill, which is along I-94 in Watervliet. So if you're driving between Kalamazoo and Chicago, or Kalamazoo and St. Joe or something, you would pass this landfill. It's right there on the side of the highway. Uh, and as, and, and uh, Daniel Balcoma um, um, owns Balcoma Excavating. And that's a, uh, you know, company that works uh, in landfill development as well as, you know, uh, aggregate mining. And, and there's just sort of a, it's sort of a myriad, uh, you know, diverse inter uh, business interests that the family has. Um, Best Way Disposal is sort of known uh, for having some um, you know, activist Republican uh, efforts, making some activist Republican efforts in the past in terms of, uh, uh, you know, it, about, oh, I don't know, uh, 10, 12 years ago, there was some flack between the, uh, the local Republicans and Democrats over, um, you know, the company uh, encouraging, uh, um, yeah, or advocating for Republican causes in the area. Um, one of the family members, not someone that we, uh, you know, we put in the story, but uh, Mary Balcoma uh, from Kalamazoo, uh, well-known sort of uh, local politician, um, you know, is, is, is connected to that family as well. I think it's important to note that um, the Balcomas give widely. They also contributed $30,000 to the leading candidate for, uh, to lead Republicans in the, in the House of Representatives, who is more or less unrelated to this legislation. Um, but what I think is sort of perked my ears up and really brought this to, uh, is significant to my attention is the timing of the contributions, that this $30,000 came just weeks before that was brought before a House vote where it passed with a bipartisan majority and then was moved to the Senate. Uh, and then uh, Senator Nesbitt directed it towards his committee. 
You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. I'm your host, John Heiner. I'm here with Eric Culkin, my co-host. And today we are studying the case of the curious disappearing recycling bill. And we have on as our guests, MLive reporters, Sherry McWhorter and Garrett Ellison, and from the Michigan Campaign Finance Network, Simon Schuster. Uh, let me ask this, this question. What, what is the substance of the bills and in what way would they affect landfill operations if we were to just kind of make the leap that somehow these donations uh, were related to a perceived peril to landfill operations? Well, John, I'd love to answer that question uh, with a, with a, with a great answer, but that's a sort of a difficult one. That that's a difficult one to answer, and and I would say uh, not something that we were uh, completely able to wrap up. Um, you know, as Simon mentioned, it was really the timing of the, the, the donations, uh, the outcome of the legislation. Um, there are, you know, there are ways that the legislation would infect, uh, affect landfilling, uh, obviously. And one of the more notable ones is that um, it would change, well, it would affect the uh, say of local governments um, to, as the bill's written, uh, it would give local governments more control than they currently have over landfill hours of operation, uh, design and aesthetics and that sort of thing. Um, in an effort to avoid a situation as to what happened in the Washtenaw County with the Arbor Hills uh, landfill, uh, which has you know, been a uh, sort of uh, there's been a big nuisance uh, concern between the landfill and neighboring uh, residential property owners that goes back quite a ways. Um, and so some of the local government control um, increases in the legislation are very uh, opposed. The, the, the landfill, uh, the waste management and landfilling industry uh, opposes that. They weren't happy that it survived the house process and when we were calling around talking to the various stakeholders uh, involved in this legislation, they say they're still you know, opposed to that. Um, however, when we talked to Senator Nesbitt, we, didn't, we weren't able to get any kind of uh, specifics uh, from him about why he uh, you know, um, has you know, not called a hearing uh, in the Regulatory Reform Committee. Uh, he said he opposes the parts of the legislation due to unfunded or uh, mandates and fees, uh, but he wasn't very specific about exactly, you know, what, where those mandates and fees fall in, in the legislation. It's an eight bill package. It's, it's a big, mm -hmm. big piece of legislation. Well, Sherry, can you talk about what it would take to kind of shake this loose or what typically happens in these situations, Sherry or Simon? Um, or is this just how bills die off? <laughs> quietly. I mean, uh, your stories uh, cite concerns from advocates from all over the spectrum for these bills with some urgency about getting a hearing. But what, what are the prospects of that? So uh, I would say that bottom line in terms of the way that it would affect the bulk of this business is that uh, landfillers are paid by weight. And one of the central objectives of this package of legislation is to increase recycling. And so the majority of the waste in Michigan is landfilled. Our recycling rate is well below the national average. If you increase the recycling rate, that means that less waste is diverted to landfills and that then a landfiller would uh, 
you know, basically receive less revenue. Of course, uh, Garrett, Sherry, feel free to correct me on that if, I, if I'm wrong. But um, I know that in talking to um, one of the lingering questions that I have in regards to the substance of the package and uh, uh, Senator Nesbitt's position is that um, regarding the increased mandates and fees, he said that um, uh, it, as Garrett and, and Sherry interviewed him, that he was he was concerned about how increased mandates and fees would raise prices for consumers. And um, I had trouble squaring that because currently, um, or one of the biggest objections from speaking with sources was that uh, was to the increased financial assurances that that landfill operators have to provide when establishing a landfill in this package. The idea here is that if the landfill company goes belly up uh, after the landfill is uh, covered and, and finished, then um, the financial insurances, the money that they put away ahead of time, then uh, can pay for environmental remediation, remediation or any sort of problems that they have. There are landfills in Michigan now where those companies have gone belly up. And because there isn't that money in the bank, taxpayers are footing the bill for that sort of environmental cleanup, especially in Genesee County with the Richfield landfill. So. Um, right now, taxpayers are footing the bill for some of these problems that this uh, package was aimed to solve. And I wasn't able to get a comment from the senator as to how these two things would square. I, I just like to put up why balloons all the time. I just ask why questions uh, because I, my, the, lot, the way my mind works, the logic of my mind just asks a lot of why questions. But if, if this was somehow flawed, um, the legislation was flawed in a way that would affect landfills, or consumers, then why were the only donations that came in from one family rather than a panoply of landfills across the state, a cross section? Um, any thoughts on that, or is it just too? Am I just being too speculative? Well, uh, that's a good question, John. <laughs> uh, I I don't know where to how to, how to answer that one. Um, I'm going to assume that you know. I mean. We weren't able to get in touch with the Belkmas, right? To ask them, you know, to elaborate on what their, you know, concerns with the legislation was. Uh, we were able to, to you know, get in touch with the uh, Michigan Waste and Recycling um, Association. Um, and so we spoke to them a little bit and, you know, they essentially outlined the concern with the local control issue. Um, and when we, you know, tried to, you know, call them back uh, to to get some uh, on follow up, we weren't able to, you know, connect with them. Uh, and that was after we had spoken to Senator Nesbitt. Um, so, you know, Simon, maybe you have some thoughts here, uh, you know, on that question. But uh, you know, the why question: Why aren't there? Why weren't there more landfill, um, you know, companies, you know, contributing to this process? It's possible that they're you know, they're satisfied with the legislation or that, that at the very least, they're not actively seeking to just derail it. Mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to the business holdings of the Balkamas at, at uh, you know, writ large, but I, I can say that some of the largest waste processing companies like Waste Management and Republic Service are relatively diversified, meaning that while they landfill, they also handle recycling, at least in, in terms of my understanding. And uh, feel free to correct me if I'm incorrect on that. And so my question would be for these waste handlers is, uh, do they have less to gain potentially than perhaps the Baltimore family does? Well, just from where you sit and your experience, it, it, uh, all of you and your experiences in Lansing, uh, once something goes off 
into the shadows, what's the prospects for getting a hearing, coming back, being modified, or, or does this one have the kind of the, the smell of death on it? The ball is entirely in Senator Nesbitt's court. He gets to determine what's on the agenda for the schedule and whether or not it receives a hearing. So uh, as to what's going to happen with this bill package ultimately is a, a entirely unknown at this point. Um, is there any is there any leverage that anybody else has other than him? Not, I mean, if there is, uh, it wouldn't be something that I would know of. Um, there would have to be political pressure applied that um, would, I think, incentivize the senator to change course of action. Uh, but still, he's not under any obligation to do so. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I would be remiss to not point out is that um, the senator, like many other legislators uh, in uh, Michigan's capital, has a dark money account, a nonprofit 501c4 where he can accept unlimited corporate contributions. And because these accounts don't have to identify their donors, we don't know the full extent of um, any contributions he may have received. And, and for his part uh, in your story, Sherry and Garrett, he says he kind of poo-poos the idea that money has any influence uh, on his thinking. It's just, he, he, he kind of cites, uh, he just kind of uh, chalks it up as the unpleasant part of, you know, being in politics. Everybody's out raising money. Mm -hmm. um, any thoughts on that? Well, he said the two things were unrelated, the, the giving, the campaign uh, contributions and the fact that, you know, the legislation hasn't moved. Um, you know, you can take him at his word or not. Um, but the very, you know, in the next breath, he started talking about how, um, you know, everybody does this fundraising thing. Um, so it, it's one of those situations where you kind of look at the outcome and you look at the, you know, the facts involved and, you know, you, you present those things, right. As you know, like, here's what everybody says, here's what happened, here's what the facts are. And that's essentially what we were trying to do with our story. Um, where it goes from here is, is you know, hard to say. Well, you did your part, um, all of you, and I appreciate uh, for the sake of our readers and, and the citizens of Michigan shedding light on the the bill, uh, the donations and where it stands. Uh, just in wrapping up here, uh, Sherry and Garrett, uh, what's next for you? Is there is there any place to take this story or investigate more uh, or is it just waiting game now? Well, there are will always be more stories to tell as Michigan strives for ways to reduce its carbon emissions. And uh, recycling is a part of that plan as outlined in the new climate plan. And uh, I don't think we should forget that there were Republicans who came to the table and supported this effort, um, championed this effort. They worked for years to put this together and get the best possible deal they could for Michigan, for the environment, for the economy, and it's now completely stalled, despite all of that bipartisanship. And I, uh, I don't think that we should give up hope because, um, you know, there's still time. You know, the year's not over. The legislative session is not over. Um, Senator Nesbitt could hold a hearing. Um, maybe other Republicans in Lansing could, could ask him to do so. Could, uh, but that's not for me to say. Well, in the making of the sausage 
it doesn't get made unless you keep making it. So uh, it would seem if there were a hearing, you could air the, the concerns that people have and perhaps modify the, the package of bills, but we'll, that we'll have to see. Uh, but as I said, the journalists, uh, you know, and the campaign finance watchers are, are, have done their part. And for that, we're very appreciative. Thank you, Simon, uh, Garrett, and Sherry for joining us today on Behind the Headlines. And thanks for your great work on this story. Thanks for having us, John. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so, so much. much. And there they go. Thank you to Simon, Sherry, and Garrett for joining us on the podcast. As always, if you like what we're doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.